Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, welcome to the show. I was, excuse me, I'm going to, I have to open this. Hang on there, guys. I'm up oh, there. Okay. I'm opening a, a little bottle of water. Thank you. To wet my whistle. So, here we go again, huh? Man, it's like Groundhog Day. Just keeps starting over again, huh? And pretty much the news looks pretty much the same, although, of course, it's usually just a tinge worse. I don't know. It's Monday. Sun's out. Isn't that nice? And it's July 27. Ah, in this incredible year of 2020. Well, I want to start a little bit easy because uh, because it's Monday. Uh, what do I have here? Ooh, there was something really interesting. I found this fascinating. You know, I'm not like a good science person, but if science is very accessible, um, I totally take to it. I, I was never good because so much science has to do with having to be good at math, and uh, that was not me. Um, my head just shuts down when numbers pop into the picture. But um, I remember having to take a science in college, and I took geology, and thinking, it's about rocks. That won't have to do with numbers. Well, of course ridiculous. Anyway, it turned out, though, that it was fascinating. And uh, I, I managed not to flunk it, and I, I learned lots of stuff. And, and when I first came to, to Pittsburgh, uh, I was blown away by how when you drive around often, you're seeing the you're seeing the layers of rocks that form the hills, you know, as we cut in to the hills to make roadways, you're left with these, you know, these extraordinary geological um, histories staring you in the face. And I don't know if I ever would, you know, if I hadn't taken that class and been really impressed by how the world works. Who would know that in geology we, we learned how a wave, an ocean wave, breaks? See, then you start getting into you know, numbers and stuff too. And why tides hit at an angle and, and stuff like that. I mean, I, right now, if you ask me, I couldn't tell you. But I remember at the time being like, whoa, that is so amazing. And learning about the tectonic plates uh, that are the, you know, the outer shell of our, of our planet and how their movement creates, um, has have created what, you know, we know of as, 
as the the world. It's just I, I found it absolutely mind blowing. And then you got into with the tectonic plates, got into uh, you know earthquakes and volcanoes, all that incredible uh, stuff. So that actually brings us to this thing I found <laughs> that I wanted to share with you because it has to do with how we uh, sort of keep our ear to the ground as a species trying to ascertain movements in the earth. Um, That's what seismologists, right, do. And uh, it turns out that seismometers, I guess, is that what they are? Yeah, seismometers are so sensitive that when they are recording the sounds of this world, of the earth, they can hear noise that we humans are making. Not noise as much as sort of pulses, I guess, from the noise. So a a seismologist can hear uh, on his instrument, can the instrument hears, and he sees that it hears, she sees that it hears, Um, automobile traffic, heavy automobile traffic. That'll make a, you know, make itself heard. Or rock concerts will show up on a (laughs) seismometer. I want to say a seismograph. Is that the same thing? Anyway, who cares? Um, uh, Factories, uh, you know, fireworks, things that when we make loud noise as a species, and God knows we do, for that matter, God knows I do, um, a seismograph can pick it up. Because <clears throat> that's what seismographs do. <clears throat> anyway, so here's the thing I wanted to tell you. It's amazing, but since the pandemic, seismologists all over the globe have been noting the same thing. And they finally sort of got together and said, have you been seeing this or hearing it or not hearing it? So seismologists from over two dozen countries are reporting now that because human activity has been tamped down considerably, because of the pandemic, the amount of noise that is, in fact, even, this is not a scientific term, pick upable by seismographs or seismometers has declined by more than half. And in a report in uh, the journal 
science, it is said that the length and quiescence of this period represents the longest and most coherent global seismic noise reduction in recorded history. How cool is that? So, the world is quieter. And I like that because noise I don't like. And obviously, the these noise reductions that are, you know, are, are, are graphable um, are, are seen more so um, in densely populated areas. Less traffic, uh, fewer people out and about, no rock concerts, fireworks. Yeah, they're still happening. And the result of this quiet is that now scientists are able to hear things they didn't hear before because we were drowning them out. So quieter signals that, in fact, might help predict an earthquake are now being heard. And also, they figure that geologists now might be able to learn how to better differentiate between uh, natural vibrations and uh, human-induced vibrations. So, um, just want to say, What's that awful song? There's a kind of hush all over the world. I know I can't sing tonight all over the world. Oh, right. You can hear the sounds of people in love. All right. There you go. Okay. You know, believe it or not, I used to be able to carry a tune. Isn't that weird that with age, it just went away? It's sort of like with age, my handwriting went from pretty good to just freaking illegible. Strange. All right. Well, that was my good news. And now we take a deep dive into horror. No, not, let's wait a little bit. I can't. I just can't. Please. Please, you can't make me. Um, Do you think I can find something that's not horror? Let me give it a shot. Um... Doesn't look too good. Okay, let's see. Um, this is not. This is getting us into dangerous territory. But uh, somebody. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. This has popped up. Trump's national security advisor. Who's that? Do we even keep track anymore of his latest nationals? I never even heard of this guy. His nat. You know, the first one. Who was the first national security advisor? Eh? That's right. General Flynn. Was he a general? Yeah. Whatever. Flynn, the uh, convicted felon. Uh, he was the first, 
And then we've been through so many, as is the case with any of uh, Trump's uh, uh, advisors. So anyway, this latest iteration of what passes as the presidential national security advisor in these uh, strange days. Whoops, his name is Robert O'Brien. And he's tested positive for the coronavirus. Well, I don't think we have to worry about him having been anywhere near the president, because as we know, the president doesn't take national security briefings. So I don't think it's any threat to the president unless it's like a golfing buddy or somebody who, uh, you know, fixes the TV if it goes down. I don't see how Trump would necessarily have crossed uh, the national security advisor's uh, path, frankly. That's just me. Uh, So. And as a neighbor once said to me about her mother-in-law. Now, understand that my neighbor was a woman in her 80s. (laughs) She was. I'm not exaggerating. I swear. She was a woman in her 80s. And she was still suffering under her mother-in-law, who she didn't like, obviously, from what she said to me. Um, And her mother-in-law was spry as hell lived alone, took the bus everywhere. As a matter of fact, when that bank uh, across from Kaufman's re, uh, you know, opened as a Lord and Taylor department store, anybody remember that? Didn't last long. You remember that? Her mother jumped on a bus the first day to get down there. She was over 100. I forget what I what brought this up. At any rate, her mother, she said, oh, I was thinking, I got it. So she said to me once about her mother, she said something about, oh, my mother-in-law, this and that. And I looked at her like, your mother-in-law is still alive? <laughs> she's, what? <laughs> and she said, oh, yeah, she's still alive. She's too mean to die. That's what she said. And I remember So I'm just thinking that of Trump. He'll never get, even if he gets the virus, he'll survive it, even though he's obese and he's, uh, you know, old and whatever. Yeah, because he's too mean to die. I learned that from my neighbor, who, by the way, is dead now, as is her mother-in-law, who did predecease her at the age of 107. Some people live a long, well, it brings us, yeah, like Olivia de Havilland, for God's sakes, you old... If you're an old movie buff like me, who's seen everything on Turner Classic Movies 20 times, uh, you certainly know Olivia de Havilland. Um, Those of you who aren't into old movies, if you've at least seen uh, Gone with the Wind, she was the goody two-shoes Melanie uh, in it. But uh, my personal connection (laughs) to Olivia de Havilland was when I was a student um, at the Neighborhood Playhouse School of Theater in New York City, circa 1970, maybe, 1970. That's what I'm saying. I'm sticking to it. Might have been 69, 70. And um, 
one of the students in my class was a, a young woman whose name I cannot remember. But she was a nice enough person, and I remember talking to her one day, and she told me that her mother was the actress Joan Fontaine. And I thought, whoa, Joan Fontaine? That's another one you'd have to, you know, if you're an old movie fan, you know Joan Fontaine. And, uh... And in the course of talking to her, and I can't think of her name, isn't that awful? Um, she told me that her aunt was Olivia de Havilland. And I said, what? <laughs> what? Jesus. So that's when I learned that Joan Fontaine and Olivia de Havilland, these two sisters, uh, there were two sisters. And in fact, I see in the obituary in the New York Times today, they are the only sisters to win Best Actress Oscars. Both of them won at one point. Olivia was a little bit older than Joan, but not by not much. And Joan predeceased her, but lived a pretty damn long life too. Anyway, what the daughter, Joan's daughter, told me that I, I didn't know, which I thought was just delicious gossip, was that her mother, Joan Fontaine, absolutely hated, hated her sister, Olivia de Havilland. They never spoke. Um... Joan's daughter, I, I don't know if she ever even had met her, I, her aunt, Olivia. Um, and it says here in the obituary in the Times that Olivia de Havilland, uh, in one movie called Hold Back the Dawn, this is 1941, uh, played an American school teacher who is seduced in Mexico by a wily European exile played by Charles Boyer. And her performance, de Havilland's performance, earned her another Best Actress Oscar nomination. But her sister, Joan Fontaine, got a Best Actress nomination that year as well. And Olivia lost to Joan, who won the Oscar in 1941 for the great Hitchcock movie, Suspicion. And then it says here, right in the New York Times, the two were rarely on speaking terms after that. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine two sisters, both having so much I mean, they had looks, they had talent, they had successful careers, they're both winning Oscars. It's like, what? And you're going to not talk to each other because what? Jesus Christ. So I, I decided long ago that they were both absolute jerks. I don't know. But I, I don't know. what. Maybe one was a jerk and the other one couldn't take it anymore. I don't know. 
And another big thing about Olivia de Havilland is she she was a feisty one. Man, she took on the studio system and uh, and won a huge uh, case that uh, you know s- started to stop the sort of involuntary servitude that the studios held uh, over the careers and lives of of actors. Um, and in fact, the case. Uh, which was in the California Supreme Court uh, is from 1945, and it is to this day known as the de Havilland decision. So Olivia was no one to mess with. And I remember seeing something, uh, something with her maybe about five years ago. She was over a hundred. So, okay. So it was less than five years. It was, she was over a hundred. She was still beautiful and totally with it. Jeez. Some people are really lucky, but then she never even spoke to her sister. So I don't know. She lucky. All right, so we got to get, I'm sorry. Boy, am I doing good avoiding subjects, aren't I, today? Um, Margaret has popped in with, what would happen if Joe Biden got COVID-19? Jesus. Um, Well, it's certainly a possibility. Um, I mean, it's a possibility for anybody. It wouldn't be good. He's very old. Uh get the best care, God knows. But since the uh, Democrats have not had their um, nominating convention, as it will be yet, uh, they'd have to nominate somebody else. (laughs) Wouldn't that be something? All right, we don't want to go there. I don't know. You know what? We're getting used to you know, dealing with so much, what if, my God. Uh, Sally Wigan just tuned in. I'm getting a, what? Sally, well, call in then. Are you, I'm getting this from my producer. Sally just tuned in. She missed who you called absolute jerk. <laughs> She's a Sally. You can just call the number there, Sal. It'd be nice to say hi to you. Anyway, I, it was um, uh, the two actresses, uh, Olivia de Havilland and Joan Fontaine. Um, and I don't know that they were, but they never spoke to each other. So there you go. Um, okay, I'm going to get to something here. I swear to God, I'm going to get to something uh, newsworthy. Uh, Although, what would happen if Joe Biden... You know what? I can't... We got to just keep rolling with whatever happens, but uh, boy, that would be a... (laughs) That would be something. So over the weekend, I saw a piece that um, said we are really lucky. Obviously, it got my attention because I'm thinking we are. Yeah, because and and that's true, because it could always be worse. Right. Um, These could be the good old days. 
Somebody said that the other day, too. What if right now are the good old days? And where I would normally, you know, you could say that laugh was, oh, come on, I'm dismissive. No, that laugh is, um, oh, I got three callers. Jesus Christ. Okay, I'll just stop. Hello. Let's go to the callers. Hello. Hey, Lynn, it's Jonathan. Jonathan, you How Turner Classic you? movie fun, fan. Yeah. How dare you call my Olivia a jerk? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I am sorry. But I isn't that awful? Well, you, huh? yeah, well, she was seemingly so sweet, but with, but steely sweet. Yeah, really strong. Yeah, and in some roles, in some roles. I loved her in The Strawberry Blonde. That was my grandmother's favorite movie. And she was so kind of playful in that and everything. But, uh, but you mentioned even when she was old, like old, uh, like geology old. Like a hundred and one or something. Still beautiful. Those eyes just never changed. I know. And she was still beautiful. And I've made a friend through Twitter um, who that I follow on one of my film lists. And she became friends with Olivia and would go over to Paris to see her. What? And, uh, How do you become yeah. friends with Olivia de Havilland? And oh, then she, with Jonathan? She writes about, she writes about movies. So oh, she that's first she interviewed her and then they struck up a friendship. Um, and uh, once in a while she would send she would uh, ask people to write in fan letters if they wanted, and then she would send them over to Olivia. But um, but anyway, she said she was <laughs> very in a very classy, you know, uh, always with great stories and things like that. And I saw a clip yesterday of when Olivia was on the Dinah Shore show. Uh, I saw it on Twitter where she was telling a story about when she had a crush on Errol Flynn and a practical joke he played on her. I don't remember the details, but. Um, well, they were rumored to be lovers, right? But she said it didn't happen. Right. Do you know right. who she almost married, though? Who? Jimmy Stewart. Oh, she did have an affair with Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, right. Well, it wasn't an, well, it wasn't an affair. Neither was married, but. Um, so depending on your semantics, but yeah, they, they, uh, were almost to the altar. Wow. Uh, she felt he wasn't, he quite wasn't right. quite mature enough. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm just calling you to task for calling my, I'm sorry. If I would call you a jerk, I'd, I'd give him hell. All right. But, okay. And I appreciate that. You're a <laughs> heck of a person to have in your corner. Thank great. you. <laughs> okay. okay but between the two. Olivia or Joan, which is your favorite? Oh, Olivia. Oh, okay. Not even close. Not even close. I don't know. I don't know. I I always have trouble ranking. I don't know. I thought they were both amazing. Well, your taste is suspect anyway. All right. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye, you. (laughs) Goodbye. And we we have a few other callers. Hello, caller, whoever you are. Hello, Lynn. Hi. Hey, uh, wasn't Olivia, didn't she invent some kind of thing for the Navy? Some kind no, of, uh, you're thinking of, uh, oh, dear. Um, uh, sh- uh, no, someone who is actually m- more beautiful than Olivia. Oh, man. Blanking, blanking. Some, Tula, no, no, not Tula Blanket. Uh, 
Uh, no, it, it, it wasn't Olivia. It was oh, a... Somebody, somebody out oh, there will know. Yeah, somebody. I know, but I just can't think. I can see her. <laughs> She's remarkably gorgeous. There's a documentary on Netflix about her. She was a genius. Hetty Lamar. There you go. That's the one. There you go. Some kind of some kind of sonar thing for some. It was a sonar thing that the Navy wouldn't even pay attention to her because she was a woman, and a beautiful woman on top, which meant she couldn't have anything to say. And it was essentially the. I mean, yeah, she was apparently a genius. It's Hedley Lamar. Hedley Lamar. <laughs> That's from Blazing Saddles, right? That... Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. Goodbye, and, you. And, and uh, Mel Brooks says to him, oh, wait a while. Hello? He- Hello? Mel Brooks says to um, what the, Harvey Corman, oh, wait 50 years and you can sue her. <laughs> what's going on here. Yeah. God, what a funny movie that was. Hey. That was, uh, yeah. You take care, Lynn. Hey, you too. Thank you. I'm so glad I came up with Hedy Lamar. Jeez, I hate that when you can't think. Sally, are you there? Or have you hung up? I she think. Hung up. I, oh, I, 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 I'm there. I, I was just typing Hedy Lamar. I, I think. <laughs> I think um, they're making a movie about her, and I think Gal Gadot, who plays Wonder Woman, yeah, I think she. Playing her, I'm not sure. I don't know why that's sticking in my head. Well, that but would I'm, make that would make sense because uh, she's she's beautiful enough to play her, and uh, yeah, I think she's stunning. But but here's here's the thing about uh, see, I think of Joan Fontaine later. She, wasn't she in television? Didn't she do some television stuff? Oh, and, probably because her. Oh, sure. She, yeah, but see, like, Olivia de Havilland didn't really do that kind of stuff. You know, back then, you know, really, the very top movie stars rarely did TV. And, and I, I, but I, I think Olivia de Havilland was far more beautiful. And mm-hmm. even though when you see the older, the older movies with Joan Fontaine, but wasn't Olivia de Havilland in My Cousin Rachel? Wasn't she in that also? I'm trying to think. I don't know. She made a hundred million I, I, movies. Yeah, but anyway, hundred and four, that's pretty it it's God, it seems everybody's dying. Um I've just we just had one friend die a couple of days ago and I just had uh, the father of one of my best friends die. I just found out now. But he was ninety four. Okay. And you know, yeah. so these people are but it just and it it's not COVID, it's just it just I it, it's you know Yeah, but they're all all the time. Right. But but I guess now we're we're attuned to death, even though it isn't a COVID death. But um, um, no, I think that was uh, um, I don't know. I, I I was, and I guess that's a good thing in these times. I was never a fan of Gone with the Wind because I I had lived in the South right. during the Civil Rights Movement and saw how horrible it was. And yeah. so the film really does celebrate the South. And oh yeah. So. And so, so I guess I was on the right side of that even way back when. 
So, well, you know, when you watch old movies, and you can't I say be on the right side of something. That's not fair to say that. I don't want to be divisive. Well, there was a right side of the Civil War. <laughs> That's true. It is true. <laughs> Jeez. I know. The, yeah. But if you watch a lot of old movies, you see that the South is uh, celebrated uh, constantly throughout Hollywood films, well into, uh, you know, the, I don't know, 50, 60, 70. There was no, no, there was always. Jeez. And that helped perpetuate the, you know, what we're paying for today, I guess. Yeah. I I love that you're talking about Olivia to have one. Uh, um, um, And and I'm listening to the, you know, the callers that are coming in. I, I, you know, apparently... Everybody was sleeping with everybody back then. I always thought of these people as, you know, pristine, not, but, but, but morally upright. I mean, they were like humping like rabbits everywhere. <laughs> well, I the studios, the studio public <laughs> relations awful. department, you know, they were, well, look at, I mean, so many of the male, like Rock Hudson, the heartthrob, Rock Hudson and, and uh, you know, Tab Hart, they were they were they were gay, and you know, those, well, so there was now, a pop- was Cary Grant, or was he just just uh, he was bi, yeah, and what, I heard Errol Flynn just was, and Catherine was Hepburn, and you know, really, uh, what, I yeah, really, well, Sally, she wore pants, well. I don't know. That's not what. Do, what no, do any I of don't us know? know. I, I just, I just know that she. I remember reading stories about she. Spencer Tracy treated her horribly, but she was so in love with him. She would sleep in front of his hotel, you know, on the floor. Oh, I remember geez. that. Did you no. hear that? It was no. Somewhere. Yeah, no. That she was. It, it wasn't exactly a healthy relationship, but anyway. <laughs> okay. Whatever. I you okay. know what now. Now you. Now you've. Now you've. Well, let's. It's it's they're old, they're dead. But at least some people know who they are now. Maybe they'll investigate. One of the things that always bugged me, I knew about actors from a long time ago, partly because of my mother, because I watched old movies. Yeah. Do the young people today watch old movies? And I don't mean from the forties and fifties, but do they watch movies from the 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 sixties and seventies? Sometimes, and, especially you know, if I, I think some of them do. They've checked if out, if like, they're, if they're, if the cult movies, the classic fans. movies, some of them yeah. that our film buffs will. I mean, my kid grew up on Marx Brothers movies. He loved them. We'd watch constantly. Well, I, there's a, a movie that, that it was so groundbreaking, and I saw it. I think I may have seen it when I was in Alabama, um, In the Heat of the Night. Oh, God, yeah. I think, yeah. Did Rod Steiger win an Academy Award for that? I, I think, think he, he did. might have. Yeah. Um, but it, 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 his line, they called me Mr. Tibbs. Mr. Tibbs. You reme- yeah. Remember when he slaps that white man? Yeah. He slapped the old white guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that may, no, maybe the white guy slaps him and he slaps him back. I think right. that's what happened. Right. They're in right. a, they're in a, 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 a greenhouse. Right. I, I, I remember that, but he's telling them about orchids. Is- yeah. And yeah. Well, that is a film on a list of the films that you were supposed to watch to educate yourself 
about the black experience in the United States, that uh-huh. was on the top. That was like in the top five of movies. It's a good one. That is a good one. I just watched right, it well, recently. Gonna... Okay. It's oh, really you? good. It is really a good movie. They I'll call me Mr. Tibbs. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, it's awesome. Sydney. I like. I just loved him. Anyway, I'm gonna let other people talk okay, okay. and people write in. But I, 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 I just, I didn't know that your texts go. Does your your text no, no, no. My your text, whatever it wait came. That doesn't matter. No, it Amy oh. forwarded to me. Oh, I got it. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Have a great show. The rest of it. Talk to you. Thank later. you, Sal. Bye. 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 Okay. I think we maybe have another caller. Hello? Hello. 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 It's Dave from Washington. Hey, you and Sally were like right next to each other there. Yeah, I know. Oh, boy. Hubba hubba. <laughs> um, talking about um, those uh, old um, golden age actors and what a bunch of sleazebags they all were. Uh, both the Ronald Reagan's wives were pregnant when he married them. I know it's hard to believe, but it's true. If you look up the dates of when they got married and when their first kids were born, there's a... Not a lot of time in there. Oh, really? Um, real quick. Yeah. I've got a couple little notes here. Uh, you talk about how quiet the world is today yeah. because of the pandemic. The oceans are extremely quiet. And the whales and the little fishies and everything swimming about, they love it. Because Tuesday. there's not a lot of ocean traffic right now. Ah. Uh. So, so they've, they've got their they, they've got their natural habitat to themselves. Yes, huh? yes, they do. That's such a good thing. Uh, did you see the John Lewis procession going across the bridge yesterday? Yes. Profound. Yes. What a what a circle of life or whatever you know circle yep. of history. Yep. Just amazing. The what? the cops that were beating him with sticks fifty years ago today they're standing on the side of the road saluting him. What a wonderful human being. What an impactful yeah. life. And and they're going to take down that damn sign that says, you know, Pettis, and they're going to, you can bet that that bridge will be they the John L. Lewis. Yeah, has to. They need to paint it, too. That's, that's an ugly bridge. They need to paint it. It is an ugly bridge. <laughs> now, this is a family story that I think is fantastic. Um, I grew up in, in Cleveland. My dad was an engineer for U.S. Steel in Cleveland. Okay. And in the early 60s, they told him, we're going to transfer you and your family to Birmingham, Alabama. It's a oh, this is so weird. Here's why it's weird. That's exactly That's what weird. happened to Sally's father. Oh, really? Yep. And my mom said, oh, no, we are not going to Birmingham, Alabama. Really? No, Sally's dad got transferred. He was in the steel business, transferred down to Birmingham, Alabama. And that's why yep. she spent a lot of her childhood in the South and hated it. Uh, no, my mom put her foot down and said, no, we are not. I so what happened? So he family. had to leave U.S. Steel? No, they transferred him to Pittsburgh instead. And that's how Oh, wow. So that worked out okay. Little girls down there. Yeah, it worked out great. They just blew up a church full of little girls down there. And, um, you know, dug uh, the um, Midnight Rider guys out of a dam that they got killed and buried them all in. So now my mom said, there's no way in the world I'm raising my family down there. Are you out of your mind? So my dad went back to U.S. Steel and said, geez, man, my wife is not real hip on this idea at all. Um, So they transferred him to, if you're in U.S. Steel, Pittsburgh is Mecca anyways. 
Yeah. So it turned out to be, you know, turned out to be, you know, a great thing, and that's how I ended up being raised in um, uh, Pittsburgh instead of Alabama. My God, can you imagine if I lived in Alabama? Hey, another thing, you know what? I want a dollar, a dollar every time somebody calls me an asshole because I would be rich. I don't put up with Trumpers anymore, Trump people anymore. I don't put up with them. And boy, this weekend I had it out with a couple of them at the bar. At, at a bar? Place. What are you doing in a bar? That's the last place you should be. No, that's all. I, that's the only place I want to be. <laughs> <laughs> and you're sitting in bars with Trumpers? I, well, vacant. You're an asshole. Now. Wait a minute. Well, so what did you? You owe me a dollar. You all right. Me a dollar so, for that. so here's what I want to know. Um, yeah. You know that in a bar, telling people they're an asshole, you could end up in a, a well, fight. Well, he asked me. He asked me to go outside with him and, and fight in the parking lot. And this is the, what, what blew the whole thing up. Was he was talking about Portland. He's like, they should just shoot them all in the street. Shoot them all. And that's when I went off on the guy. And yeah. then the next thing I know, I'm an asshole. You're an asshole. Blah, blah, blah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been called an asshole before many, many times. And then he wants to go outside and fight me. And then I asked him, what are you going to do? You're going to shoot me in the street like the people in Portland? Blah, blah, blah. It just got out of control. But it was actually kind of funny. And, um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, You're too old to be doing that. You're that's crazy. Yeah. Well, also people aren't going to get into uh, physical fights with an old guy. Uh, so, you know, was he a younger guy? Was no, he a younger? He's older than I am. Oh, jeez. And he's a veteran, and I do not understand how in the hell any veteran can. Uh, this is the whole thing. They, they were from the, the Legion, the American Legion down here, and, and they've been trying to get me to join, but I don't want to join the American Legion because they smoke cigarettes in there, and I don't want that. But I'm telling the guy, you're a veteran. I know you're, he's, a, he's a Vietnam veteran. I said, I hope you weren't c- captured because your guy, fucking Trump, doesn't like people who are captured. He likes people that weren't captured. And heaven forbid you should be a Gold Star family because he's going to get a fight with you and insult your wife. So how in the hell can you support this guy as a veteran? He takes a guy like Eric Vindman, a war hero, turns him into a criminal. He takes the guy who was convicted and found guilty of war crimes and turns him into a hero. As a veteran, I do not understand how any other veteran can support this guy. Oh, I so agree. That's what set me off on this guy. Did this idiot have one rejoinder, I mean, to any of what you said? I mean, how could he argue with it? No. He couldn't. Which is when he said, all right, let's go outside. I'm going to beat you up outside. I'm like, no, you're not. You're going to shoot me, aren't you? Like that people in Portland, you son of a bitch, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my friends were sitting there. were quite impressed. They were all a little bit scared at first. But they oh, I'm sure. Up. I chased three of them away. I chased three of them away. I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> considering, considering, I've been sitting there for five hours drinking beers and shots all day long. I actually did Jesus. You would have loved it, Lynn. If you'd have seen it, you'd have loved it. I would have been rooting for you. I would have been in your corner. Good. And, boy, like I say, if I could collect a dollar, I probably could have covered a big portion of my tab yesterday or or Saturday. But Okay. Well, I hope you're at least six feet away from these jerks. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah? As much as I can, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it was Uh. So, and uh, the oceans are quiet, and, um... And I don't live in Alabama, so things could be a lot worse. That although, is true. Although, you know, Jesus <laughs> God. I mean, Thank you. Thank you for Bye, your man. call. Okay. I'll talk to you later. Be careful. Goodbye. Wow. Man, guys. I love this. 
we're two thirds of the way through the show, and I swear to God, all we've done is just talk, and it hasn't been about horror. Thank you, boy. Was this a wonderful thing? I appreciate it. Um, I'm telling you, callers make a show, and all too often, I'm not getting enough, and that's my fault. Okay, so let's see. I'm 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 a, I'm out of stuff that is not. Ooh, this is weird, but it doesn't have to do with the stuff we're worrying about now. This is something other. Um, you know, in the Olympics, when you're watching stuff you would never watch, uh, including like those those sports where people race down these ice shoots at unbelievable speeds. Um, you know, sometimes they go feet first and sometimes they go head first and sometimes there's just one of them and sometimes there's a whole bunch of them. And, and I guess that's um, bobsledding and skeleton. Isn't one of them called a skeleton? Bobsledding and uh, luge. I think luge is the one where they're feet first. But I want to talk more about the ones that are head first because there's a a story in the sports section of the New York Times about how so many Olympic level uh, sliders is I mean what <laughs> sliders people involved in these in these sports have been killing themselves. I mean, it is the most, all right, I'll just give you for instances. I mean, this is over a few year period, but still. Uh, a former bobsledder, uh, American, uh, Pavla Jovanovic, hung himself. He was 43. Uh, but he had begun experiencing tremors and shaking and uh, mentally he was not himself. He was the third elite North American bobsledder to kill himself in the last six years. Adam Wood was another. Suicide, 2013. He was 32. Travis Bell at 42. Uh, also, Steve Holcomb uh, oh, died of an overdose, um, 37, that was two years ago. Bill Schufenhauer sliced open his wrists in 2016, but was saved by his girlfriend. In recent years, just an, I, I mean, if you were graphing this one, this one looks like, you know, our American COVID is just straight up the number of athletes current and retired in bobsled and skeleton skeleton that have killed themselves. And um, you know why? Stop and think about that sport. 
stop and think. You're on this hard surface. You're barreling at over 80 miles per hour, doing these curves. You know, they 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 bang into they bang into the walls. They uh, the g forces are amazing. Um, and brain experts now who have uh, who are looking into this uh, say that a lot of the symptoms that preceded these suicides uh, are the same you see uh, from people who have uh, brain stem damage because, first of all, you don't get to that level without experiencing a ton of crashes, too. And those are brutal. And on a good run, you're just rattling your brain, your head's banging, the vibrations, the gravitational accelerations, forces that are, uh, you know, the kind of thing that just do your body in. And after a totally normal good run, people who do this sport will say that they have sled head. That's what they call it, sled head. Because coming off a perfectly fine run, they actually experience mild traumatic brain injury and concussion. And they aren't quite themselves for a while. So you come off that bobsled and you're concussed. Um, why do we do these things? There's a quote in here from one of the guys, Adam Wood, who killed himself. He was talking to his wife. He said, you just don't even have an idea that you're destroying your life. Well, you know, now that you do, (laughs) maybe you shouldn't do it. Why is so much of what we... We consider entertainment and recreation. Wow. Wow. I mean, kill you. Oh, Barbara sent me a picture of Olivia and Joan together. And, uh, yeah, Olivia's prettier. They were both really good actresses. Both really good actresses. But man, they hated each other. It must have been, you know, who knows? (laughs) Who knows? Okay, I want to do a shout out to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Woo! Man. What a, what a, what an amazing woman. And uh, she doesn't let opportunities pass. She is, she's something. That is a force. And she took an event that happens to women uh, at a mind-numbingly uh, constant rate, 
which is being called a bitch or just being treated like crap by a guy. And women are so used to this kind of thing, especially, see now, she's young. She's really young, the youngest woman ever in the Congress. And it's so incredible for an older woman like me to watch a young woman not take it. I mean, just not take it. Not accept Yoho's apology because it was insincere and because it didn't go far enough. And then to use the event to school her colleagues. And then so it wasn't just about her. She's just a sort of brilliant politician, I think. She made her remarks on the floor in which this is the first time that the words fucking bitch were entered into the congressional record because she made very clear that that is what she was called by another member of Congress. Um, She also included, after she spoke, other women, other members of Congress stood up and told their stories. This is, this is education, and this is also telling people this is going to stop. Can't do this anymore. This is why so many white men feel threatened. They can't act with impunity anymore. As they want, they can't treat black people with impunity. They can't treat women with impunity. And so they become like women-hating, racist, misogynist uh, murderers like this jerk who blew away the, uh, the judge's son. Uh, there are so many men who harbor such crazed hatred. Wow. I just want to say, I don't agree with every uh, every position AOC has, but man, I am an admirer. I am an admirer. And the fact that I use the word impunity reminded me of a piece that I wanted to share with you. And so I'm afraid we're going to end up ending on um, a more serious note. But I found this piece just uh, brilliant. And it was written by Roger Cohen um, for the New York Times. And... um, It's titled American Catastrophe Through German Eyes. 
and I'll share just a bit of it with you. He says, no people has found the American lurch toward authoritarianism under President Trump more alarming than the Germans. They now speak still in shock of the American catastrophe. And here is one writing about it. The American catastrophe seems to get worse every day. But the events in Portland have particularly alarmed me as a kind of strategic experiment for fascism. The playbook from the German fall of 1933, the fall of their democracy in 1933, conjures up some of the same imagery, uh, including these rogue military factions beating up people in the streets the uh, destabilization of urban centers, the idea of bigotry, of racism as a political strategy, a racist imagery of a pure homeland, cities demonized as places of decadence, Germans know this. Germans in the 30s lived it. And Germans know that Trump, like Hitler, provokes outrage in a constant cascade designed to blunt our natural uh, reflex of alarm. We all know, individually and collectively, that we've become numbed. And that's the idea. You keep it up. You keep it up. You tell the lie over and over. You do the unconstitutional act over and over. You terrorize people, intimidate people, and you deaden the reactions through just the volume and repetition. Now I'm just going to... I want to read these three paragraphs, okay? Because better than me, you know, babbling. In wartime, the Geneva Convention, to which the United States is a party, requires even irregular forces to wear a, quote, fixed, distinctive sign recognizable at a distance, end quote. This is in wartime, and the U.S. sign, these are the Geneva Conventions. 
you can't have un you can't have these these rogue military outfits of course trumpers would say well this isn't wartime <laughs> and obviously the Geneva Conventions include this. Now I've gone off script again. Because Okay, I'll go back. This is critical not only to protect civilians, but also to ensure accountability for misconduct by the military or paramilitary, right? So, as in Portland, when paramilitary units have no identifying insignia. There is no accountability. And that means impunity. They can do what they want. Democracy? Democracy dies. Think of all of this as setting the scene for Trump's own state of emergency if he does not like the November election result we must declare a state of emergency you don't need no Reichstag fire like Hitler did you got social media and the combustibility there is more intense than a physical fire. All right, last paragraph. The president says he wants to protect law-abiding citizens. In 1933, after the Reichstag burned, Hitler issued the, de quote, the decree of the Reich president for the protection of people as his means to seize power. So the German horror now, watching Trump and America, has many components. They've seen this story. He is the fear-mongering showman, wielding nationalism, racism, and violence as if the 20th century held no lessons for us. He's the would-be destroyer of the multilateral institutions that brought European peace and made it possible for Germans to raise their bowed heads again. And what Germans see now when they look to America is they see fascism in the making. Sorry, but there it is. There it is. All right, just catching up on your emails and then I'll let you go. Beth writes, hey, Lynn, Sally was right. Gal Gadot is set, oh, was set to play Hedy Lamar. I believe it was for an Amazon movie. I, Beth says, I was going to work that project. Uh, I think I've told you that Beth is in the movie biz. 
but because of Gal's schedule, the project was pushed. Every actor who works in film needs to praise Olivia de Havilland. If it hadn't been for her, all actors would have been tied to one studio and thus not being able to make the money they make today. Don't get me wrong, you have a lot of actors who do a lot of projects for one studio, but because of her legal fight, and it was audacious at the time, and a real David and Goliath battle, and David won. But because of the de Havilland rule, today's actors can now shop the market and work with other directors and producers. Aw, and Beth says, this makes me miss my work so much. I bet. Um, okay. And Barbara wants to share this letter to the New York Times that somebody wrote. If there were a country comprising only women and girls worldwide who have ever been raped or sexually abused, you might have heard rise up a collective gasp when Donald Trump said, I just wish her well, of, I don't know how to pronounce her name, Gislin Maxwell, the woman accused of recruiting girls for Jeffrey Epstein to to sexually abuse. This imaginary land would be enormous. The organization Equality Now estimates that rape and sexual abuse affect close to a billion women and girls over their lifetimes. I don't doubt it. Each assault shatters the victim's world in a unique way, trampling egos, tearing apart relationships, toppling carefully piled up achievements into a heap. Or sometimes, often, it is simply endured, only to quietly haunt one's dreams. Shame is the universal specter that saps the strength from rape and abuse victims, imposing invisible shackles long after the assault has occurred. I myself am a citizen of this imaginary country. 38 years ago, when I was 32, I was raped. I was married. I was a doctor. You might say I was in pretty stable shape. Yet the shame and guilt I felt were overwhelming. Why didn't I fight harder? How did I let this happen? I knew better, yet it took me years to overcome those irrational feelings. President Trump has harmed our country in profound and possibly irreparable ways. Aligning himself with alleged sexual abusers is yet another. Yeah. Okay, I'll leave you with the wonderful Allegheny COVID-19 daily update. I seem stuck about the same as it's been the last three days. 180 new cases, two new hospitalizations. We, by the way, lest you don't know, 
uh, hospitals in Allegheny County have more COVID cases than they have ever had. The cases, these 180 new cases in the last 24 hours uh, impact people ranging in age from 2 to 101. God. Okay. So I guess that's it. Be careful out there, guys. It is still, it's dangerous. Don't go drinking in bars and getting in fights. And uh, I'll talk at you tomorrow. And uh, Susan will be joining me. And I want to thank you for the show today. It was more enjoyable than usual. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, thank you. Quite a gift. Have a good one. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.